another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. So I hope everyone has been doing well. Apologize, apologies for the slightly delayed episode. As you probably heard, the presidential election was this past week, and I didn't have a lot of mental headspace for much else uh, between the delay in the results coming in and then the final actual result leading to a day of celebration. So here I am Sunday night recording this when it's going to come out two days ago. It is what it is. So for this week's episode, I'm going to be recycling actually some content from another podcast I produce. Um, in addition to anime, I'm interested in looking at box office numbers for movies and seeing how much money movies make and why. And I cover that every week on Tuesdays on the show called the Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, for the past few weeks, I've been following the story of the Demon Slayer movie that's been setting records in Japan. So I figured I'd share that story here on this podcast feed. Some of the audio at first will be from my episode that came out the weekend after the movie premiered in Japan. Uh, so it uses some box office specific jargon um, that hopefully is easy enough to understand. Um, and it's also a little bit more geared toward a non-anime watching audience. So just a little bit more of an explanation of Anime 101. Um, I'll follow it up with kind of a status update on where it is currently. Um, and then, you know, in the distance, it's been a couple of episodes since the first impressions episode for fall 2020. I figured I'd give a update as to where I am with regard to shows uh, I gave the three episode rule to a while back. So, without further ado, uh, here's the audio from the Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, so, for context, for those not in the know, Demon Slayer, or Kimetsu no Yaiba, is a manga series by Koyoharu Gotoge that ran in the magazine Weekly Sonen Jump from 2016 through May of this year. Weekly Sonen Jump is the magazine where anime series you've probably heard of, such as Dragon Ball, Naruto, Bleach, One Piece, and many more, have run in the past. And as with many of those popular series, Demon Slayer ended up getting a TV anime adaptation that ran from April through September 2019. I did an episode earlier on in this, this podcast run about animated movies and had a little bit to talk about anime and the way that anime films end up being... Uh, valuable for your companies in that they're usually advertising for uh, the source original source material. Well, in, for Demon Slayer's case, the 19th episode was so well animated, it went viral on Twitter, leading to a mass, mass popularity of the series. So popular that people would go back after the anime to go read the original manga. Pretty much what the producers of the show would want. But it was to such a degree that they had to reprint out-of-print versions of the manga and would go on to become the highest-selling manga of 2019, outselling One Piece. Now, for context, according to data company Oricon, One Piece has been the highest-selling manga in Japan every year from 2008 when they began tracking this number, uh, so probably even before 2008, um, through 2018. And you know, One Piece is currently the best-selling manga in history with 470 million volumes sold, but that has the benefit of be having been around since 1997. Uh, this is the number three for a comic series all worldwide. Batman's currently at 484 million, and Superman is at 600 million. So for Demon Slayer to top One Piece, even in just one year, is pretty impressive in and of itself. So the anime series covered the first 52 chapters of the 205-chapter series, or about 6 out of 11 story arcs. Uh, the 7th story arc, Mugen Train, wouldn't be long enough for a full season on, on its own, um, and so you know, it was the... the, 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 uh, the 
the arc, also known in English as the Infinity Train arc, was adapted into this movie uh, that premiered in Japan this past weekend. Now, what's different about this movie is that most anime movies are actually kind of spin-offs or filler content that doesn't actually tie into the main storyline. They're just showing the characters in some you know different place, a different setting normally than than the main uh, storyline. So, uh, this is often the case with series like Detective Conan or One Piece. So the fact that this was really the only way for fans of the series in Japan to see the next arc of this already hugely popular story um, definitely gave this film a boost. So that's kind of the context for what Demon Slayer is. Now, context about the Japanese box office history up to this point. Previously, the top opening weekend measured in yen uh, was for The Matrix Reloaded back in 2003, uh, the second film in the Matrix franchise. That opened up to 2.2 billion yen. Now, Part of the reason for it holding onto the title for so long is that week-long previews beginning began being a thing in Japan shortly afterwards. So, you know, a lot of demand for seeing the film first would be taken up by the previews that wouldn't necessarily be counted in that opening weekend. Um, in fact, opening weekend numbers are usually only Saturday and Sunday. They don't usually have a Friday release either. Some other top films, you know, aside from The Matrix at 2.2 billion yen, uh, taking account into inflation, 2.2 billion yen is about uh, was about 14.7 uh, million US dollars at the time. Um, actually, and not that doesn't even count uh, for exchange rate as well, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, other films since then, you know, Frozen 2 um, last year, as well as Detective Conan, uh, you know, premiered to 1.88 billion yen. Um, in fact, Detective Conan actually beat Endgame Avengers, um, you know, th- which had a 1.3 billion opening weekend. I think it was the only country um, that opening weekend that did not have Avengers at the top of the charts. Uh, Makoto Shinkai's super popular anime film Your Name, uh, which is the, actually the highest grossing anime film worldwide, opened to about 1.1 billion yen in Japan, um, and its sequel, Weathering With You, opened to 1.5 billion yen this past year. And of course, the ever popular Spirit of the Way opened to 1.05 billion yen. So, all that inside, you know, Matrix being 2.2 billion yen back in 2003, where did the Demon Slayer Infinity Train open up to? 4.6 billion yen. Again, 4.6 billion yen when the previous opening was 2.2 billion. That's over double and by far the highest opening gross opening in, in Japan's history. Uh, that converts roughly to 44 million US dollars. Um, and in fact, that's the highest grossing opening film of the weekend in the entire globe. Not even opening, just just box office performance this weekend. It's so ridiculously successful that the Japanese chief cabinet secretary, functionally the vice prime minister, made a comment praising the film for its you know success and its cultural impact. Like Endgame, it's passed a ton of box office records, so let's run through those real quickly. And credit goes to the user Corpse on the World of KJ forums, who kept the internet up to date with all of the details this past weekend. So first, like Endgame here in the States, Demon Slayer was able to get to these levels by upping the number of sewings per theater over the weekend. It was estimated that on Friday, there would be about 6,170 sewings across 267 locations, which only accounts for about 70% of the total theater market over there. That averages to about 23 sewings per theater on Friday alone, um, and the previous record holder was Frozen 2 at about 14 sewings per theater. Some of the more popular theaters, especially in Tokyo, uh, were reportedly showing the films upwards of 40 times in a single day. And the final count ended up being, you know, with 
showing in about 400 theaters total across the country, the highest for any film in history. Uh, in this, in uh, in in Japan, um, you know there was so much demand for pre-sales that when they went live online, every single movie site in Japan crashed. Kind of, you know, if you remember trying to get tickets for Endgame was like, or you know, the first Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Um, the film was also helped by the fact that while Japan for a while has had 50% capacity in its theaters on, um, and it still has it on the weekdays, uh, they recently lifted these capacity limits to allow for 100% capacity on weekends only. So, you know, Saturday and Sunday, the film had over 1 million people attend, 100 million, 1 million tickets sold, um, the first film ever to do so, and in total, it had 3.4 million spectators over the weekends. Uh, breaking it down by day, it made about 12 million US dollars on Friday, then about 16.2 million on Saturday, and 15.7 million US dollars on Sunday. That's also good for the top grossing single day box office number in Japan's history. So that was all from episode 35 of the Box Office Watch podcast from the weekend of October 16th through 18th. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since then, so how is the show pacing out now? Well, as a comparison, in 2019, Frozen 2 opened up to 13.2 million US dollars in Japan in its first week, and then dropped about 28% in week two to make 9.5 million US dollars. Drop meaning the amount of money it made in week two was some percentage less than what it made in week one. Uh, overall, you know, these drops tend to correlate to what the legs of a show or the multiplier ends up being. The multiplier being where you take the opening weekend number and then you take the final gross of that number in the country and you divide the two together, you get what the multiplier is. So, you know, Frozen 2 ended up making $122 million and with a $13.2 million opening weekend in Japan, uh, the multiplier there was a 9.2x multiplier. For, for reference, this is actually pretty different compared to what the U.S. box office multipliers end up being. Those usually end up being about four times. Uh, for example, Frozen 2 in the U.S. made $130 million in its opening weekend and ended up making $477 million in the United States. Um, another comparison for Japan you know, is Makoto Senkai's Weathering With You. That ended up having an 11.7 times X multiplier, um, and its first weekend drop was 15% week for 15% from week one to week two. So, uh, in with that in mind, how did Demon Slayer do over the f- subsequent weeks from its first episode, from its first weekend? Uh, in the second weekend, Demon Slayer dropped sixteen percent, which is way better than the success, the pretty successful Frozen Two, indicating it should pace out to about a ten x multiplier. Uh, as of Halloween weekend, Demon Slayer has made just over one hundred fifty million U.S. dollars, or just over fifteen point eight billion yen. Uh, it's only the third non-Ghibli film to re- to pass the ten billion or non-Ghibli anime films, excuse me, that has crossed over the 10 billion yen mark. Um, it's also the fastest film to ever reach 10 billion yen in Japan, taking only 10 days total. The prior record holder was Spirit of the Way, which took 25 days to get there. Uh, currently, Demon Slayer is the 10th highest grossing film of all time in Japan. Uh, this beats out James Cameron's, James Cameron's Avatar and the aforementioned Spirit, uh, Weathering With You by Makoto Shinkai. The next film for them to beat in ninth place would be Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, which is at about uh, 17.3 billion yen, another 2 billion or so. 
The number one film is, of course, Spirit of the Way at 30.8 billion yen in Japan. Um, other top anime films include Makoto Shinkai's Your Name at 25 billion yen in fourth place, House Moving Castle at 19.6 billion in ninth place, and Princess Mononoke at seventh place with 19.3 billion. Um, in addition, this 150 million US dollars uh, is currently good enough to place it on the leaderboard for the top grossing films in 2020. Uh, part of that is due to obviously the global pandemic limiting the amount of films that come out in the box office, but Japan has seems to have more or less recovered from that. Um, and it's currently, you know, Demon Slayer is ninth highest grossing film across the entire world, um, which is pretty rare for a film from Japan to do so. So if Demon Slayer ends up having that 10x multiplier we talked about, similar to what Weathering With You and Frozen 2 had, it would end up making about 46 billion yen, and it would beat Spirit of the Way for top grossing film in Japan of all time. That's insane, especially for a non-Ghibli anime film. Uh, that would convert to 445 million US dollars, and if all of that is made in the next couple of months before the end of 2020, that would be good enough for it to be the third highest grossing of the film in 2020 across the entire world. Obviously, there's a lot more to the story as it develops over the next couple of weeks and months. Uh, 445 million US dollars would be enough to be the highest grossing anime film of all time, for example. Uh, Your Name has made 358 million worldwide. Now, even if Demon Slayer doesn't quite get to 445 in Japan alone, maybe that doesn't hit the 10x multiplier, it still has a good chance to break out in the rest of the world. Um, for example, uh, Your Name made 40 million, I believe, uh, US dollars in China, and Demon Slayer is a hugely popular anime series in China as of uh, 2019. So that should do pretty well there, even if it doesn't have quite the same uh, non-Sonin appeal out there. Um, obviously, the state of the US and French box office is kind of limited right now due to the pandemic, but if they are able to open up in some sort of a capacity next year when Demon Slayer is supposed to be brought over to the U.S. by Funimation Films, uh, it should make bank there as well. Um, the current highest grossing U.S. film, uh, anime film, is, I believe, Dragon Ball Super Broly, which made 31 million U.S. dollars uh, here in the U.S., um, which would be a nice little addition to what Demon Slayer makes um, and could push it over to beat your name. So, Anyway, that's all for the box office talk. Um, if this interested you, be sure to check out the Box Office Watch podcast. I put it out weekly every Tuesday, even during the pandemic. There's been a lot to keep you know, to keep me busy talking about week to week. Um, even if the U.S. box office is only a fraction of what it was before, I'll include a link to that show in the show notes. Okay, let's take a look at the shows I've been watching from the fall 2020 season and where I am with where I am with regard to how I'm keeping up with them. Frankly speaking, the last couple of weeks have been pretty busy, uh, both mentally and just work-wise, uh, so I've kind of fallen behind on most of the shows, and I'm not fully up-to-date on everything. Um, I think also another part of the entire, in addition to just being busy, is that uh, I'm simply following an insane number of shows right now. By my count, I believe 22 full-length shows um, and three sorts. I think my realistic limit, based on my past experience in other anime seasons where I've burned out by trying to follow too much, um, is somewhere in the 15th so vein. So um, I don't really anticipate that all 22 shows I'll finish to completion. Uh, in fact, in this segment, I'm going to be talking about some shows that I'm likely going to be dropping off maybe around episode 6 or so once I catch up to them. Um, you know, I'm, I assume you'll know, you know the shows I'm talking about based on their title alone, so I'm not going to go into in-depth on what each show is about. If you're not sure, be sure to check out my past episodes about the first impressions of the fall 2020 anime season. I'll also be using the English titles just for convenience. 
All right, so first off, of the 22 shows, let's talk about the shows I'm definitely going to be watching through the completion. Um, in no particular order, these are Jujutsu Kaisen, Wandering with Elena, Hypnosis Mike, uh, Iwakakaru uh, Sports Climbing Girls, Warlords of Sigurdrifa, Talentless Nana, Dropout Idol Fruit Tart, Adachi Tosumamura, uh, Akuma, Akudama Drive, and The Leftover from last season, Fire Force Season 2. That's 10 shows so far. And, you know, Part of it, you know, for some like Fire Force and Jujutsu Kaisen, you know, they're just really done super well. Um, and they're kind of in my wheelhouse of just high accent Sonin shows with great production value. Um, some of them, you know, maybe are, you know, a little bit less well put together in that regard. But you can kind of tell that they have like an ultimate end goal. The plot is moving on at a steady clip and progress is being made in the plot. So it's kind of I can see where this is going and, and it's it's enjoyable enough for me to follow along. Um what separates these shows from the ones I am kind of starting to waffle on is the fact that, you know, they do have that clearly defined end goal. And, you know, part of the charm of an anime is enjoying the journey along the way, but a show that consistently pushes towards some plot resolution with instead of wandering around with no particular aim is, is kind of, you know, a, a benefit, especially when I have limited time. Um, one exception to this, I think, would be Wandering with Elena, which is, you know, definitely the, uh, the whole point of the show is he wanders around in the journey. Um, but I think part of it is that there is such diversity to the stories being told. Some are really happy, some are really sad, and that kind of like you never know what you're going to get element of it is really appealing to me. So that's why this is on that list. Uh, I'm also keeping up on three sorts, uh, Dog and Cat, Sorgaki the Neck, and the Dogeza show. Um, the last one is a bit of a new addition. It wasn't, it hadn't aired by the time the last ep the episode of my podcast came out. Um, so a bit warning, it's a little bit not safe for work based on like a really sort, you know, etchy manga. Um, but, you know, in any case, all of these are like two minutes max, so not much investment and in, in loss for me in terms of time. So, you know, there's a there's just a quick hit of entertainment uh, when I have a quick moment maybe between meetings or something. Uh, not not too much to worry about, so I'm, I'm definitely going to be following up with all of these. I'll also mention that I am, for now, keeping up with the Digimon Adventure 2020 season, uh, Osomatsu Season 3, and Dragon Quest The Adventures of Dai. Um, that said, all three are fairly long-running. Digimon and Dragon Quest are slated to have over 50 episodes each, and I still need to go back and finish Season 2 of Osomatsu-san. Um, I think I'm going to be electing to maybe not keep up with them every single week, um, just because of stuff coming up, and maybe and maybe I'm not going to be able to finish it all um, and and keep up on top of all the other stuff that, stuff that I'm doing. But I still want to keep up with these stories, so maybe I'm just going to binge watch a number of episodes. You know, let them build up maybe three or four episodes at a time before binging them. Maybe on like a weekend, or you know, when when I have a particularly slower week, maybe the holidays are coming up. Um, the last time I did this with a show, granted, it was Boruto. I did end up kind of soft-dropping the show after I just fell too far behind to ever actually catch up. And that may ultimately be the fate of these shows, but I don't want to make it seem like I think these shows are bad. I think they actually are moving to a certain progression. I think the fact that they are kind of, well, Digimon and Dragon Quest specifically are geared toward more kids, that maybe it's not quite as fast as progression because it's like a long-running show. Um, and that's kind of like, you know, just the, the nature of long-running show versus you know, more compact seasonal anime. Okay, so those are the shows that I'm you know, definitely keeping up with, the sword anime and the long-running shows I may not be fully up-to-date with at all times, but I'll catch up to at some point. Uh, next up are the shows I'm a little bit less worried on. I'm still planning on keeping up with these week-to-week uh, -week basis. I don't have any plans on dropping them anytime soon, but they are more likely to be the ones that you know maybe I give a week or two before catching up with them uh, because it's been a particularly busy week and I don't particularly have time to watch everything all at once. 
Uh, first up is The Day I Became a God by Jun Maeda. Um, it's been pretty entertaining each episode so far for its standalone hijinks. You know, each episode, the main protagonist and Hina, uh, you know, they do a little different thing. They make movies, they make ramen shop, they learn mahjong, and each episode is pretty funny. It, it, it tends to be more the more silly tone, these first couple of episodes, and the production quality is pretty you know, above average, definitely. Um, even if it is not, you know, a super high action, so there's still a lot of production quality there. That said, we are not really any closer to understanding what Hina means when she says the world is ending in 30 days. And I really want to be, that's the story I think I'm particularly interested in, right? And we do have some hints to it. You know, there is like a, a B plot, which isn't fully explained right now about like artificial intelligence that, you know, we can hint at what might be going on, but um, only time will tell. And if it takes a little bit too long to get to that point, I might just, you know, I might end up dropping it before that. I really hope I don't. Um, but, you know, that if it gets to be too busy in my school, that, that might end up being the fate of this show. Next up, we have Taiso Samurai, uh, which is uh, a couple of, you know, there have been a couple of excellent gymnastic scenes since the first episode, and it has a real charm, especially with the characters of Jotaro, um, the father gymna- gymnast, and his daughter, Rei, who's super cute. That said, the show is pretty much about as as much about the people around Jotaro as it is about his return in gymnastics, which I think I personally was more interested in seeing the more gymnastics world side of things. So hopefully that comes around soon. I'm also still pretty baffled about who Leo is. Um, he's the ninja who kind of follows them around. And what his backstory is, he's kind of just accepted that he's there, but you know, there's really no, there's a, there's a a lot of unanswered questions that no one ever really digs into there, and that's starting to get a little bit frustrating. Um, Big Bird is also just a really big mystery, which I don't think is ever going to get answered, frankly speaking. Um, what it that that fact that they're not answering these questions make it feel not as fully put together as other shows. Maybe I'm going to be surprised later on when they find the kind of reveal it all at once and how it was foreshadowed all along. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that's one of my complaints about the show. Um, the most e- recent episode, for example, you know, I was, I, it was more about Leo and Ray's relationship. Um, and even after all that, we still don't know anything about Leo, and we didn't even get any great gymnastics out of it. So I'll keep watching, but, you know, I see no signs of my questions getting answered yet. And if it, that goes on for too long, I may end up, you know, putting this on the back burner. Uh, Ikebukuro Westgate Park is in a bit of an odd place. You know, on one hand, similar to uh, you know Jun Maeda, uh, the day I became a god, um, it's a lot of weak stories of the week where you know they get wrapped up in a single episode. It doesn't really point to a larger ongoing plot about the um, you know the G boys and and the Red Angels and so on. Um, and you know the fact that there is no overall plot. Plot is one of the reasons that uh, they became a god is uh, in my crosshairs, right? On the other hand, it does, you know, Ikebukuro Westgate Park does like a little bit of a different tone on each one, kind of like how Wandering Witch Elena does, um, if a little bit less highly produced than, than Wandering Witch Elena. I still do really enjoy the show because it kind of encapsulates the wild craziness of li- what living in a city is like, kind of like a more realistic version of Kekai Sensen, which is one of my favorite shows. So I think it'll be a matter of me. Honestly, I, I think I just need to make better, be better about making time for this show in particular, um, you know, to catch up on it as it comes out. Um, there was a whole episode about, you know, elite YouTube, professional YouTube, which was just pretty, pretty hilarious. So... Um, I really do enjoy this show, but you know, I really, I would like to see a little bit more overarching plot. Um, next up, we have Sleepy Princess, uh, which is as cute and as adorable as ever. Uh, part of the deal, though, is that it's kind of the same gag 
over and over and over each episode with you know, there are variations on what the exact task the princess wants to accomplish and how she goes about doing it but it honestly mostly involves terrorizing the denizens of the demon castle in one form or another Listening to the Trash Taste podcast, which, you know, recommendation, that those guys are pretty funny. Um, you know, they made a comment about how comedy anime in Japan uh, is all about taking the same concept and just repeating it ad nauseum and drilling it into the ground over and over again in just different variations. And I think that's what's happening here. Um, I don't think that episode six will be a make or break for me in terms of dropping the show. But it'll be more likely or so that, you know, if I have time for it, I'll watch it. But then if I don't, I won't lose too much sleep, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, over m- missing this show. Uh, finally, we have a newcomer show, D4DJ First Mix. Uh, this one is literally on every platform out there, Funimation, Crunchyroll, even on YouTube, uh, every Thursday. Uh, the reason it's this widespread is it's actually an advertisement for an upcoming mobile rhythm game from Road Entertainment. And yes, yes, mobile game adaptations in anime generally can be somewhat questionable in terms of quality, especially those focused around uh, predominantly cute girls. Um, this one actually ends up to be pretty well done. Uh, the premise is that a group of girls decide to form DJ units uh, involving singers, dancers, and of course disc jockeys, um, and you know strain, strive to become the best. Um, for some reason, their school is really seems to support the DJ habit with DJ practice rooms. Anyway, um, this takes a lot of boxes for me. You know, cute girls doing a niche hobby thing. Check. Uh, said niche hobby seemingly diving deep into the mechanics of that hobby, such as in the first episode, they talked about BPM matching. Uh, check. Uh, music shows in general. I'm pretty much a sucker for these all the time. Check. Uh, I'm also you know pretty impressed that they were able to animate the girls using what looks like CG animation uh, pretty decently. It doesn't seem off or an uncanny valley. I think the rise of VTubers may have made this kind of animation a little bit more palatable to the common viewer. I'll be keeping an eye on this one. Only two episodes have aired so far, um, and I'm low-key hoping they'll incorporate some old-school hip-hop into the DJing, though I know in my heart they'll probably just take the EDM dance rave style music, but, you know, a guy can dream. Uh, anyway, that's D4DJ First Mix on Funimation, Crunchyroll, and YouTube. Anyway, so those are the shows I'm still keeping up with, but, you know, I'm, I'm starting to question a little bit. Um, and then finally, the shows I'm pretty close to dropping, actually. I haven't dropped them yet. I'm probably going to get until episode six to bring me around. But these are the ones that, just for the sake of my sanity and time, I may just end up dropping. So first up, more of the patron. I know a lot of people say this is underrated, and I think it is underrated, but... In my mind, it's been a little bit oddly paced. Uh, the first episode was an anime original story uh, about Moriarty's typical crime consulting. Uh, the second and third episode flashed back to his origin story and kind of the origins of his Eat the Ritz philosophy. And the fourth episode seems to return to his one-off criminal consultation. Again, that recurring issue of there is some uh, episode, uh, qu- a case of the week, so to speak, that gets resolved within the confines of an episode. Now, that being said, you know, Moriarty, you start thinking of Sherlock Holmes, you think of sorry, think of who done detective stories. Um, part of the appeal of that kind of show is being able to solve the crime, so to speak, ahead of time. But I think the fact that Moriarty is committing the crime, there really isn't that payoff of being able to see, you know, how who and how who done it and how they did it, as you would say if it was following Detective uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, I think the main appeal of the show is honestly, if you want to see. The villains, who are frankly kind of one-dimensional assholes who don't really have like any redeeming qualities to them, uh, get their get their comeuppance, you know, at the hand of Moriarty and his uh, associates. Um, and you know, I I think 
that's not necessarily thing, something I'm particularly interested in. Now, if they do come around and they bring in Sherlock Holmes and Watson and kind of lead to a more overarching story, I may give this one another chance. But for now, I don't think this is the show for me. Uh, next up, Noblesse, uh, the Crunchyroll webtoon adaptation. I've mentioned before, uh, this show really shines, in my opinion, not because of the you know dark, edgy vampire combat and you know the secret organization stuff, but really the the core appeal of the show for me is the fact that this 800 year old vampire is now living in modern day Japan and he's a fish out of water and he kind of has like a deadpan you know snarky not even snarky he's a deadpan reaction and some other people around him have like kind of snarky humor and I think that's just the that kind of comedy really sits well with me. Um, the background stuff about the secret organization is kind of whatever, and you know it's not particularly engaging. And the, the brief action sequences we get in each episode is, you know, not the really anything special at this point. Frankly speaking, um, it has been building up to a big conflict, so we'll see if maybe they up the production value of that conflict and and the action scene that will be involved there. But the lack of the emphasis on the part of the so I really like the comedy element and focusing more on this kind of boring oh conspiracy about vampires woo. Um, really has it in my crosshairs at the moment. Uh, like Crusade, uh, the last Crusade anime, which is you know that one that's from Silverlink that has the really really long uh, title, which I'm not going to say here. Um, I've kept around because, well, for better or worse, there was something somewhat charming about the serendipitous Romeo and Juliet romance of enemies happening to bump into each other in neutral territory, um, even if the background war story never really hooked me. Silverlink has been hop- ha- knocking out with the park more or less this year, and that's given them a lot of goodwill for me. But I think this show is starting to wane. I think part of Silverlink's appeal is that whenever they do a show where there's some sort of ridiculous nonsense premise, but they play it completely straight, right? Like uh, Bofuri, which I haven't still watched, but in the premise there, low, let me max up my defense to the max, right? That's kind of a ridiculous premise. Uh, I got reincarnated, but I'm the villainous in the story, and instead of you know. You know, following along the story, I end up making a reverse harem of my own. That's kind of ridiculous. I am a month-year-old reincarnated baby of the of the demon lord who can do all these ridiculously amazing things. That's just so ridiculous that it this kind of works. I think you know, at the beginning, the ridiculousness of their relationship was kind of appealing, but the fact that they're they're moving more into the playing it straight, especially with the combat and the faded lovers and the combat and whatever, that just gets a little bit dulled me i think um the combat at the end of episode i think it was episode three wasn't super interesting to me either so really lackluster and i'm not really interested in seeing the end of the war war which they're trying to push towards so we'll see if it survives after episode six i'm not particularly hopeful at this point and then let's see kuma 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 bear is the last of the isekai series this season the other two i've already dropped uh while kuma 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 is the best of the three I still think it's lacking something. Uh, part of my problem with Grace of the Gods, one of the other Isekai so, was that there was no real tension and the pacing was just way too slow. And Kuma Kuma Bear isn't fully no conflict, you know, but the OP nature of her bear suit does remove a lot of the potential tension in the show. The initial situation of trying to figure out her situation, combined with her Oni-chan-ness, uh, made for compelling first few episodes, but I don't really see where the show can go in terms of making a compelling conflict um and introduce un- unless they introduce actual stakes for her in the next couple of episodes um she is you know yuna is a really cute character and and kind of her attitude around the world uh, the characters in the world around her is pretty great but um it can only take us so 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 far that's said, i would still love to cosplay in the bear one scene it's super great all right 
that's all the shows that I'm close to dropping, but there are also shows I have already dropped this season. I already talked last episode about Assault Lily, King's Raid, Tonikawa, and I'm Standing on a Million Lies, as well as the aforementioned By the Grace of the Gods. Um, check out why I dropped them on the last episode. The only show I have dropped since the last episode, because it wasn't yet at three episodes, is Magatsu Warhide Zerst. Um, at first, I was curious to see if the events of the first episode will ultimately snowball into a larger conflict, which apparently it's the prequel for another game. So maybe those snowballed events uh, are in this are are or what the show is leading up to. Um, but I think the potential for a multifaceted, multi-protagonist point of view show is greatly diminished by recent episodes, right? The Empire is shown just to be universally pretty city people, um, as opposed to the, you know, sages of grace, some people are good, some people are bad. Um, and on the other side, on the rebel side, Emmanuel, right, the guy who's kind of caught up in all of this, he isn't all that likable to me. I know he's acting the way he is because his life got turned upside down through no fault of his own and his in a silly situation and, you know, his sourpuss attitude with, you know, being a bit of a dick, frankly, is kind of probably how I'd react and most people would react given that situation. That doesn't mean I need to enjoy watching it play out in front of me. And so, you know, the accent also never really picked up in a unique way that I that I enjoyed. So, you know, politics are all the other potential uh, hook the politics of the show are all way too below the surface right these are like bit players who are moving around but they don't actually are into the movers and stickers of the politics it is the politics of the show you want to be following the people who are making things happen and these are kind of like the small people who are kind of being pulled around by the larger mechanisms around them so uh magatsu warheit zerst is one that i unfortunately am dropping Anyway, that's where we stand for fall 2020. Uh, if you take the 10 shows I'm definitely continuing on with and the five I'm keeping an eye on, that gets me to about the 15 is series I can keep up with. Um, there are four that I'm planning on dropping soon, maybe, uh, and then two that are long-running and maybe following with on or off. Um, of course, I'll keep you updated on how they turn out by the end of the season. In any case, let me know what you think of my updates on the fall 2020 shows that have hit the mark or not. And let me know what you think of my segment about the Demon Slayer box office. If you want to see more me cover more stuff about anime movies, um, I hope to catch it. You, know, I hope I hope you, as I am, are able to catch it when it comes to a market near you. Um, let me know what your thoughts are on Twitter at yetanoanimepod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow my my anime list at ninjaboy333, boy with an I, and a link to that will be found in, our, in the show notes as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play links, uh, as well as a link to the Box Office Watch podcast. Uh, if you can please leave a review on any of those podcast stores uh, on podchaser.com, it would really help us out. Intro and outro music is provided by Suichi Sakagami at pandesk.com. Editing and production is provided by Ninjaboy Media. That's it for this episode. We air on the first and third Fridays of each month. Until then, see you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>